This morning I want to pray before I read. Okay, let's just go ahead and pray now. Lord, I ask that you'd have your hand on this reading and on this teaching. Um, I, I feel, for some reason, this morning, uh, convicted that I want all of this to be taken very seriously, and I don't want us to read real fast and, and then get into the mode of learning. I want the mode of learning to begin as we begin reading your word this morning. I just ask that you would be here with us, that we'd sense your presence, and that you'd move among us so that we can grow and we can be children of the light that have your light in us that shines out from us through broken vessels. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the, the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound. To the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are not seen are temporal, but the things which are, I'm sorry, but the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. So the title this morning is Suffering and Hope. Um, and I'm just going to share something kind of off topic, but it's the reason why I prayed the way that I did. I was remembering this morning, there was a while ago a certain pastor who used to be part of a large church, and I've forgotten his name, but he stepped down from ministry, and he was doing some different things, and then he decided to take a, a year or something and pretend to be an atheist for a year and see what it was like. And after that year was over, he abandoned the faith because he realized that his life was not much different, pretending like there was no God, not reading his Bible, not praying, not going to church. He felt like he still had the same friends. He had the same relationship in his marriage. He still had the same kind of life. Things were the same for him. And I was thinking through how I could never imagine doing that because I feel like in my own life, my relationship with God and my fear of God is the only thing that that keeps me at bay from being a horrible person. If I was an atheist, I don't think there's anything else in my life that would motivate me to live the way that I live, which I think has resulted in me having a better life. I've got a great marriage. I have great kids. I have a decent job. And I think if I was an atheist, this is just me talking, 
I don't find any other motivation that's sufficient to keep my sinful pleasures at bay in ways that would ruin my marriage and ruin my friendships and ruin my jobs and that sort of thing. So I just kind of wanted to say that to you guys because I think that all of us, if you could imagine your life without being a Christian and you could imagine what would it be like not going to church, what would it be like never praying, what would it be like never reading my Bible, if you could imagine doing that for a year and you don't think your life would look any different, you're in a very dangerous place because I don't think you're saved if you feel that way. If you feel like you could live an entire year as an atheist and nothing in your life would be different, I think you're not saved, and that's a very dangerous thing. So as we come together and as we're learning from the Word, just know that there's life here. And Paul's talking about life, and we can actually learn in this book that we call the Bible how to actually have life and life that you could not experience in the world, life that's more abundant than that. And you should be sensing that. You should feel that there is something uniquely different about this experience than what you could get in the world. And it can't, nothing can compete with this for your eternal joy. Okay, anyway, um, maybe that was God. Who knows? That's that was on my mind this morning. In this text, um, Paul is explaining, he has been explaining for some chapters now about his ministry and his method. Um, and it seems to be in response to some accusations about the way that he ministered and the way that he did things and the way that he even preached. And it appears that certain people in Corinth might have thought that he taught difficult things on purpose to be vague or to be crafty or that he sent people to Corinth instead of himself because he had false motives or something. And so he's been explaining why it is that he preaches boldly and with excitement and perhaps unlike the temple experience, perhaps unlike the way the scribes and the Pharisees would read and then maybe explain some things and be very solemn and be very calm. He was much more animated than that, and he was, he's been explaining why. In the verses we're going to look at today, Paul reflects on the life he's had to live as a believer to kind of demonstrate even further than he's already said that he's not placing confidence in himself. He keeps trying to prove the point that just because I'm animated and I talk loud doesn't mean that I'm arrogant, doesn't mean that I have confidence in my flesh. And so he's going more into that this week, explaining just how frail and fragile his own body is. And then he also says that this is by design in the calling of God, that he is as frail as he is. Because being frail in this way is what Paul is explaining here. Being fragile, suffering the way Paul suffered, it's, it's caused the greatness of God to shine through him in a way that wouldn't have shined through him if he had his life all together and had no flaws and was confident in his flesh. And when I was reading these verses, I got this image in my mind of, of uh, two different clay jars. You know, in the ancient times, they sort a lot of things in clay jars and you had jars made of different things. So imagine you have one new jar, decorated, painted, sealed perfectly. You could put water in it if you wanted. It's, it's solid and it's new and it looks great. Then you have this other jar that is chipped and kind of broken. And you couldn't put water in it because water would just spill right out. But if you tried to put light in both of those jars, which one would shine more light? The broken one. And that's the image that Paul is going for in this text. 
And so let's look at verse 7. He says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Well, what treasure is Paul talking about here? Verse 6, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, which we discussed last week. The light which the world can't see. The light that was veiled from the Jews. The light of the glory of God that was veiled in the Holy of Holies, hidden behind a veil, separated so that the Jews couldn't enter into the Holy of Holies to be in that presence. The light that shone off of Moses when he came off the mountain and the Israelites wanted him to be covered because they were freaked out by it. That's the light that shines in our hearts as believers that gives Paul confidence when he preaches. But Paul's saying, look, that is a treasure, but it's in earthen vessels. He doesn't say it's stored in vessels made of gold and silver. This Greek word, just so you know, earthen vessel, it's the word ostrakinos, which comes from the word ostrakon, which is the word for oyster. Because they would make jars in ancient times out of shells mixed in with other stuff, but it was, there were different kinds of jars, obviously, and different kinds of vessels, and if you were rich and you could afford to make one out of, I don't know, gold or bronze or silver or whatever, but if you were a regular person, you had a lot of jars made out of shells mixed with other stuff, and it was fragile, it was easily broken. If you dropped it, it would obviously break right away and shatter. So Paul's saying that's the kind of vessel that we carry this treasure in. We're not preaching boldly because we think we're special. We recognize that the body we live in is fragile and broken, easily broken. Our boldness does not come from our confidence in ourself. It comes from the treasure that we have, the treasure we're carrying. And it actually seems to cause Paul to disregard his own safety, disregard how fragile he is, and to be bold despite being broken. Knowing how fragile our bodies are, how fragile our skin is, it's amazing to think of the danger that the apostles would walk right into. Remember in Ephesus when um, the whole town went crazy because Paul was preaching and so many had gotten saved at the temple of Artemis was losing money and this whole thing got crazy. A huge riot was happening and Paul's just walking right towards it and it's his disciples who have to pull him back and say, this isn't the time. He just wanted to go right in there. The, the danger they would put themselves into, knowing how fragile they were in earthen vessels, goes to show they were not putting confidence in their flesh. Now, the other idea here with putting treasure in earthen vessels, because of that word earthen there does mean, you know, it comes from the word oyster. You could get the idea that Paul's alluding to a kind of pearl in the oyster metaphor here and how an oyster must be broken to get to the pearl. And how in the same way, the apostles, they had this treasure in them, but in order for the world to receive that treasure, they had to be broken. And so they saw their tribulation and their trials as a way of breaking themselves open to give this treasure to the world. What a sacrificial way of thinking about your life. And I think we all need to have a better sense of this when it comes to thinking about our Christian experience. 
because we all go through hard times. Sometimes they don't seem significant because we look at the world around us and, well, it's, it's not so bad compared to that person. But we all have hardships. We all have hard times. And rather than denying them, we should be asking God how he can use them. It's like cracking open an oyster to get to the pearl inside when we cry out to God for his help. And we receive his help. Then we recognize that it was him who helped us. And then we're glorifying him who helped us. And those around us are seeing that. And it's like that light that's shining out of the cracked vessel. As opposed to me saying, I fixed this problem. I had the good idea. I got this done all by myself. I'm a clean and tidy vessel with no chips in me. I've got things under control. Instead of that, Paul says, no, we're earthen vessels. We're fragile. We're broken. We fail. We mess up. We struggle with sin. We're not perfect. We can't trust in our own strength. And God gives us hardships as a way of kind of breaking open that oyster and giving, giving the pearl to the world, giving that treasure to the world. So you've got these two metaphors. One is the light shining through the cracked vessel and the pearl coming out of the broken seashell. I think both apply here. I think both are what Paul is saying. Paul's saying if we, can get, if we can get past that hard time, but we have sought God through it, and we've sought his help through it, once we get past it, we're going to see that, like Paul says, the surpassing greatness of the power of God is what did that. It wasn't us that solved that problem. And so now Paul's going to demonstrate just how frail and broken he is physically to further demonstrate how ridiculous the notion is that Paul or any of the apostles were preaching boldly because they had confidence in themselves. Here's how Paul describes his ministry. This is what Paul's resume looks like. Afflicted in every way, but not crushed, in verse 8. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body of the dying Jesus. Caring about in the body, the dying of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. There was a really great hardcore band when I was in high school named X Disciple X, and they read this part of the Bible in one of their songs. And when they got to the word not destroyed, the breakdown hits. It is great. Love that verse. So the way Paul describes these hardships, did you hear the hope that was mentioned at every step of the way? With every confession of hardship, there was a profession of hope. Know that about your life as well, that you can have hardships, but whenever you confess a hardship, you can also profess a hope. Paul says, afflicted, in every way afflicted, but not crushed. He's like, I'm not done yet. Perplexed, but I'm not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. That's a good one, because imagine when you're alone under a pile of rocks like Paul that they threw at you and he's left to die. He's not forsaken, because God is still with him. And the friends that pulled him out afterwards. Struck down, but not destroyed. And so with every confession of hardship, there's this profession of hope. And the hope is because Paul really understands what's happening through these hardships. He understands what God is doing through it. He says, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus. That's an interesting idea, carrying about in our body the dying of Jesus. 
Paul goes further in Galatians 6.17. He says, I bear in my body the brand marks of Jesus. So he had been beaten in ways and scars had been left that reminded him of the scars that Jesus has. Jesus said we'd suffer, right? He told us to expect persecution. He told us that the world would hate us for our beliefs, that we'd experience persecution. 1 Peter 4 even says, don't be surprised when you go through a trial as if some strange thing is happening to you. Like, what is this trial? Why am I going under a trial? God, what have I done to deserve this trial? Peter says, don't be surprised when you go through trials. Instead, it says in 1 Peter 4.13, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ. So, the first generation Christians, the apostles, and the churches they started, second generation Christians, this whole early church culture was, had, a, had a thorough understanding that part of our walk with Christ includes suffering and that that suffering is shared with Christ. They're sharing in Christ's suffering when they suffer. That's something we don't hear a lot about today. In churches. We don't talk a lot about that. We want to talk much more about having your best life now. No one wants to talk about suffering. That's what Paul is saying here, though. And Paul says in Colossians 1, verse 24, probably one of the harder verses in the Bible to understand, he says he rejoices in his suffering because his suffering fills up what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ. What is lacking in Christ's affliction? That's a hard verse, right? I can go more into this. This is what it means, though, and I'm confident in this. Nothing is lacking in the effect of Christ's affliction for our salvation, right? He, he said, it is finished, it is done. What is lacking is the visible demonstration of it. He died once, and all that were there saw it. And what Paul's saying here is, by them continuing to suffer for the gospel, they were living out and making Christ's suffering visible in a way that would be lacking if they weren't. So what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ is the public demonstration of it. Because that, that happened already. He, he, he died, he descended, he was buried three days, he rose, he ascended again, he's back in heaven now. So today, Christians who suffer for the cause are filling up what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ in that they are on display in the world, suffering for God's glory, giving Him their trust and their adoration and their worship in the midst of suffering. And when things work out, they give Him glory. And that is what is lacking in the suffering of Christ. It's just that visible representation of it. And so Paul is saying here that he's always caring about in the body, this is our, our Indian missionary, just so you know, every single Sunday likes to send me, send, send me messages. And I always tell him, please don't do this on Sunday. And if I forget to silence my phone, that's what happens. I'll get back to him later. Maybe we're supposed to pray for him. Pray for our Indian missionary. They're going through a hard time. Um, speaking of suffering. So Paul is saying here that always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. That's what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ is that the life of Jesus is manifest in our body when we suffer. 
as believers, the interesting thing about suffering is that it actually always seems to have the opposite ultimate effect that suffering tries to cause. Suffering might want to crush you, but if you trust in God through suffering and you come out of it, you've trusted in God for your strength and it didn't crush you. It might want to discourage you, but if you stay true through it and you trust in God through it and then you get past it, you'll be way more encouraged and way more strong and it won't have discouraged you. If suffering wants to isolate you, and instead of being isolated, you've shared with others what you're going through, you've gotten prayer from others with your, when you're going through things, and you didn't isolate, and God's light then shines out of you through your suffering because you're doing what he wants you to do in the midst of your suffering, then it didn't isolate you. So often what suffering tries to accomplish in you, the exact opposite happens when you trust in the Lord. And so Paul is saying here, even if suffering produces death in us, it's producing life in you. So again, opposite effect. It might kill me, but it's giving you life, so it's still not winning. Verse 11, For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Again, In this we can find hope. If we just continue to trust him through hardship, the things we fear, the things that are at risk, ultimately God will work out the exact opposite. Ultimately. Maybe not in the short term, but ultimately. Death will result in life. Sadness will result in joy. And pain will result in comfort. So verse 13 But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. So Paul again returns to this topic of explaining why he preaches with such confidence. Because I actually believe these things, is what he's basically saying. We believe what I've just said, and that's why we speak. Not because we're confident in ourselves, not because we're trying to get something out of you, not for some false motive. I believe these things, so I'm speaking about it. Then verse 14, knowing, this is his hope, knowing that he who raises the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. So he's again saying, this is why I have hope through these hardships, is because I have eternity, and I'm looking forward to it. For all, are, all things are for your sakes, verse 15. He's given his life for these people. So the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Again, we're not losing heart. We're not lacking confidence. We're not acting all meek. And, you know, we're, we're bold. We're animated. We're excited about it. We don't lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Now, these final verses are ones that I think would be important to memorize and think about because of what we're going through today in the world. And so what we're going to do is we're going to end with these verses before we continue our time of, of response. But let's just read them together. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let us become the kind of people that are not consumed by our afflictions. 
let's recognize that whatever affliction is going on, it's momentary. It's light. Jesus said in Matthew 11.30, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. God's glory shines through it. And even if we're broken vessels, that's when God makes himself strong on our behalf. That's, that's when he shines through us. As we trust in him, these temporal things that are happening are producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. This is similar to what Paul said in Romans 8, verse 18. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So let's not focus our eyes down here. Let's not put our trust in the rulers down here and the governments down here. Let's not put our sense of security and safety in what the people down here are doing. Let's not let our joy be robbed by things happening down here. Let's keep an eternal perspective on this. And if you do feel like you need to react in some way to what's happening in the world down here, do it from a place of knowing that God, that you're secure with God, you're safe with God, and this is not your eternal home. And whatever we do is for the ultimate point of glorifying God and sharing the gospel and giving the world hope that there's more than this out there for them.